Uh, well, welcome back to Living Electric. We've got a few guests on this week. We're here with uh, Joseph, Nick, and David from uh, DCC Electric. Joe and Nick are from Orange, uh, but we've got all of them on the show to chat about what they're doing in the EV space, some really interesting stuff. So I'll, I'll pass it off to the three of you to do some quick intros about what you're working on and what your roles are. Start with you. All right. Well, so Joe first. I'm Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> I am the head of marketing and business development at Orange. Uh, we just round, raised a big round of funding. Uh, we were going to talk about that, but then one of our good friends came into the office today and we thought, why not do something a little more interesting than just big up ourselves? Uh, so I'll get <laughs> to the mystery guests at the end. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Nicholas. I'm the founder of Orange. Started the company three years ago. Been on a podcast with you guys before it was a blast. Um, and we're, you know, mostly focused on multifamily charging. So we, we kind of, as Joseph said, our focus is that. And uh, that kind of actually helps lead into David here, who uh, has been in the space longer than Orange, helping solve this very difficult niche of multifamily charging. So I'll let him introduce himself. Sure. Thank you, Nick. I'm David, the founder of RVE. We make uh, load balancing device to help uh, people install chargers at a lesser cost. So we focus on single families and multi-family buildings um, and help um, AV owners get access to charging without needing a service upgrade. So charging at the right time of the day. That's awesome. Well, I, I can see how you guys became connected. I mean, you guys are both solving an issue that really needs to be solved. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, actually, David and I met years ago at a conference in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. and as that's where your company is based, right? Yeah, yeah, we're based in Montreal, correct. Where'd the idea for for RVE or DCC Electric come from? Was there like a did you have a specific experience in one of your own apartments or kind of? I came from the electrical industry, and back in 2014, I I would say uh, we saw a big need of um, even if if you were able to to buy a big Tesla Model X or S, you. You would need a service upgrade to to get charged at home. This would cost a lot of lot of money, or even you couldn't do it because the utility would say no. Um, so we figured out that it, it would be a great way to to develop a product that would uh, make it easier and be also compliant to be able to install those charger. So um, we the DCC basically is a device that helps make the existing infrastructure um, smarter and is agnostic to any EV charger or outlets out there. Wow, that's you incredible. Could, uh, so so that- to Explain a little bit how it works for yeah. the audience. I think, because yeah. I think there's a nuance to that that is really important of how you solved it. Because it's actually pretty clever and his ability to be hardware agnostic at the charger level has helped him kind of actually help solve what we've been talking about a lot, which is load balancing in right. buildings. And there right. isn't a good note around load balancing. Because our actual conversation was like an hour ago uh, before we started this podcast. <laughs> right. How hard it is to get all the players in the EV space that are like utilities and the national electric codes across yeah. not just here, but Canada to be on the same page. So in the EV world, you guys have heard a lot about load sharing and you, you, you go to Reddit and you watch people fight over like chargers need to be able to load share. But when you go to file a permit, there isn't a clear path to actually install load sharing. And so... What he's done is found a kind of a, a hack around it right. with the way his product works. So I think it would, it would helpfully explain it. Yeah, it's it's a fairly simple way to, to do it, right? It's a it's a relay. Uh, we, we monitor the actual load and we, we will control the, the charger. And the reason why we're doing it this way is the safety aspect, right? So the, the, the building code and the electrical code we're dealing with were, were written 30 40 years ago, and they haven't really in, evolved that much. So we're, we're trying to make more room into the existing capacity while being compliant with uh, hold regulator and pass inspection, with, which is still a, a, big, a big gap. So when all of your listeners go after this and they go uh, Google DCC, uh, it's like DCC 9 and DCC 10, I think you'll come up with the products if Correct. you Google it. And what it really does this really clearly is it monitors the current from a single meter into let's say an apartment complex or a single family home to the whole building. So he they're like 80 to 100 amps, sometimes Correct. more. Yep. And so as that load, let's say you, you're not doing a lot at home, but you want to charge your car, it will keep the circuit on for the car, the charger on that circuit. Mm -hmm. But as the load for the house that you're monitoring goes up and it's 80%, correct? Yeah. Okay. 80%, it turns off the charger so that you can 
could keep using the load you, you didn't technically have because you were charging a car. And so that's the way they're kind of solving that load sharing. And so you, if you look, like I know, you know, Joseph used to work at Evercharge. I don't think that's a secret. Um, and so that's another company that has their own solution for like load sharing. And it's like one of the things that I think is really interesting in this space is a lot of companies have tried to solve it, but a lot of them say they solved it. And the reality is when you go look at the install, they actually have it because the code doesn't let them. They can't actually do an install with load sharing. So what's really clever about his solution, he has no networking. It's all like local right. to that box. And so right. that box is safety because it's literally just checking whether or not there's enough current on what circuit and safely switching between the two. Mm -hmm. There's a few other companies I think that you guys have probably heard of in, that have like dryer plug style ones. Mm -hmm. And so they're like more consumer, where his works really well. And I'm giving you a lot of plug here. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, um, hey, that's point. <laughs> yeah. But it's really, it's really industrial. And that kind of comes back from your background because yep. you came from an electrician's background. You know, you're, you've done a lot of actual electrical work installing chargers right. with your, it was your, your parents, right? Or, yeah. So your parents own an electrical contract company growing right. up. So he's, his exposure is really interesting compared to a lot of us in the EV industry that come from like, the technology world, he actually comes from right. the people that have to pull the wire and do the work, which is a really, I think, untalked about, unsexy part of this industry mm -hmm. that's actually yeah. the biggest deal in a lot of our installs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they're hardware agnostic, which makes it easy for us to all be friends. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right. Why we can be in the same room and, and be friends is we, we try to fix the same problem, mm -hmm. get access within multi-unit dwelling buildings. Yep. So. I think we have a, a similar mission, and we can achieve that working together yeah, absolutely. against each other. Oh, that's that's really cool. So, is it universal then? Like, is the device itself universal? Like, it could be installed like in a brand new build, or like, say, for example, like a six-year-old home or building. Is that is that how it would work? Yeah, abs absolutely. So we have multiple verticals. Um, either it's for new new constructions, we can rough in just a just a box, so um, low-cost solution just to make your building EV ready. Uh, and then you can install the electronics, the monitoring devices later down the road, or just install the full kit in retrofits when, when there's an actual EV being, being like, um, that, that is arriving within the building. Oh, that's really cool. So, I, okay, so I, I don't have an electrical engineer background or anything like that, you know, just to be transparent. Alex does, but I, I don't. So I'm, I'm going to ask some of, you know, the more consumer side questions. But, um, you know, just out of curiosity, I know it's not like a, based on the conversation we had, like a connected device, but like, does it alert the driver, like when things are starting to split, like when there's more load demand? Like, do they get like text alerts or anything like that? Or is that kind of a future plan? Good question. So, um, as Nick mentioned, mentioned um, the device is non-connected, right? Okay. So we, we don't have a way to, to communicate with the driver, um, and we don't need to because the driver will themselves have their app, and their car will tell them, "Oh, your car has stopped charging," and in 15 minutes, if you're using less energy, it will start start again automatically. Um, so what what we found out over the years is that. Um, the drivers will adapt their energy consumption based on if we shut shut down the power a couple of times within a week, then they'll say, okay, I, if I want to charge my car tonight, I might not use the dryer or, or, or cook, right? Um, They're more cognizant of that. Yeah. yeah. And, and since we really focus on the dedicated charging, so it's one, one DCC, one user, they adapt their, their energy usage so after after a couple of weeks, typically what we see is that there's not that many power cut because it will learn how to minimize the the power cut. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen any issues like integrating with chargers? Like if they're like it stops the session or like cuts power? Does it fully cut power to the charger? Like when that when that switch happens, I'm guessing. Yeah, so right now, um, all our units are fully cutting down the, the power, so it simulates a, a power outage. Um, so okay. power gets back, it's just re restart or reinitialize. Re yeah. Gotcha. So, okay. And, you know, so there's probably certain chargers, like network chargers, okay. that like if they have a charge session going and they, they power cycle, because I know that if a charge point power cycles and it has yep. a charge session going, it doesn't automatically restart. Doesn't it. restart it. <laughs> if you need a FR, RFID, yeah. start a session, yeah. then it will 
Depending on the models. Yes. Yeah, so some of them you can override it. Okay. Some of them you can. Um, but our market, you don't need a network charger. No, you just have a dumb Clipper Creek or yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of cases I think there's like fourteen fifties you could put at the end of it and just plug. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that was something that kind of we you probably I've pushed this a lot. People really want to sell these chargers, these boxes on the walls. And you know we're an outlet company, which is like counterintuitive to the charging world. Um, but the reason why is you look at what most people actually charge their EVs on, and they don't install four or five hundred or eight hundred dollar chargers unless they are commercial or absolutely have right. to, or don't know any better. And they install like a fourteen fifty outlet and call it a day. And so what's really cool about his product and something that he can just have, you can have a dumb outlet, right, plugged into your mobile adapter in a parking spot. That outlet's you know a good outlet's like seventy five dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. If you actually do, we, we that's a different discussion on like not catching up. <laughs> <laughs> like a good Nor Emo fourteen fifty is like seventy five dollars. Right. That's so much cheaper than installing like a four hundred dollar Tesla wall connector or, or a charge point connector. And now you have this one to one where that person now has an experience or can charge where they might not have before. So it's a, an enabler. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I I would add to that. Um, we have the benefit of tapping the power on the individual meter suits, right? So we will benefit of uh, residential rate and no demand response or peak demand subcharges. Mm -hmm. So the utility doesn't see it. Yeah, it just looks like the user is cooking more. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. That's really cool. That's uh, so cool. So, so is this available in just Canada or is this in the US as well? Uh, it's, it's in both, both countries. Um, so we, we've, we're currently in 30 states. Uh, in the U.S., um, available through our, our online platform. So, yeah, we've been selling in the U.S. for a little over five years, and everything is U.L. listed. Are you in Ohio? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're uh, both in Ohio. So, yeah. uh, yep. got it. Pulling down the Midwest. I was about to say, if you hear any Midwestern accents, that's us. <laughs> yeah, do, you have, do you have like people that are out there just like waiting for the Cybertruck yet? Like, do you have people that ask you all the time, "When that thing coming? I want it. I want to take yeah. it off my farm down to cornfields." Right. We're, we're, we're seeing a ton. <laughs> well, you know, we're seeing a lot of Rivians out here, like that's a ton awesome. of Rivians. A lot. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no Cybertrucks at the moment. At least nobody's asked me. If I have any answers on that, right? <laughs> I know Ohio has a lot of battery plants coming in the next few years. A ton, yeah. Ohio has been really good about being kind of or doing our best to be business friendly and like getting all the plants locally here because we just got that Intel plant that's like I don't know, thirty miles from my house. It's going to go in, so <laughs> it is. Uh, that's a that's a big one coming here soon. Like the chip war stuff happening and like coming to factories in the U.S. again. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know where Redwood Materials just announced they're putting a plant somewhere out there. I don't know if it's, I don't know. I'm oh, the, East, East Coast, yeah. East Coast, yeah. And I think that's a big deal that people are kind of, the recycling of batteries will be interesting to our industry because it's something we hear a lot as people in the industry and EVs. People always ask me, what about those batteries? You know, they're, they're terrible. Right. <laughs> and like, we can recycle most of them. So it's really cool to see that that's actually taking off and that factories are going to be built to recycle the batteries that come from, you know, our, a slightly small aging fleet, but someday that fleet will be old. Well, oh yeah. Just as supply lines are constrained. Yeah. Because like, we're in a big war. Yeah. <laughs> it's killing off a lot of copper production. <laughs> yeah. So there's not a lot of copper in yeah, batteries. Yeah, but there's lithium. Lithium, cobalt, cobalt tons of yeah. nickel. So... You know, David, I was I was going to say to circle back on Ohio, if you need anybody to test any products, I, I volunteer and I'm sure Alex would too. Yeah, definitely. We both have older homes, so. Yeah. We'll pick, up, uh, pick you up on it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll send you an email. Okay. No, that product sounds amazing. And I mean, it just, to, just to give the ability to like allow owners to control their electricity in, in a way. Like, I think that's like the most fascinating part of like our industry is that we are starting to see more conversations about energy control, you know, like having people to be more energy independent in a way they can control how their electricity is used versus with like gasoline, you don't really have a say of how that works, you know? So that's, that's really, really cool. I'm going to have to dive more into this. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I do have a question. Like, how do you control the recycle? So you're saying like when the, you have to turn the power off, some 
uh, chargers don't want to turn back on, but you can get others to go back on. Like, what yeah. protocol are you using to do that? Uh, it's internal in the chargers. Okay. So you some chargers with NFC or right. uh, RFID, right. you will have a little dip switch that you can. Oh, okay. Turn up. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, yeah. So you can either activate but, or deactivate it. Yeah. yeah. I do have a dumb charger, so that could be a good way to test. Right, <laughs> <laughs> Piper Creeks and like any of those like dumb chargers, and that's actually one of the beauties of his product, right? Like, we have all these people talking about smart chargers and all this connectivity, including us. Like, we are a culprit of this at Orange, um, yeah. and I'm happy to dive into the the challenges there are with RF and you know signal and all these protocols to send data between smart chargers and smart charging systems and all these platforms. But what, what, why I say it's really his approach comes from his background. He did an approach that is really simple, and in, we say it's dumb, and I think that's an unfair. It's just not. It doesn't have electronics in it that actually are yeah. often dumber than the simple solution. Mm -hmm. It's right. just <laughs> doing it well, and it does it consistently. And I think that's often overlooked in like user behavior, like you mentioned. Oh. So like as an owner, the last thing I really want is try to figure out the algorithm that's controlling charging my car. But if it's really consistent, it behaves a certain way every time, I adapt to it and I can, you know, and it's like, I think a lost cause a little bit in the world we live in right now where everything's like, let's put AI in a learning user. And it's like, you, we are the AI. We know how to adapt. To things. <laughs> yeah. But that's adapt to, the, you know, a simpler solution. And so that's a really a beautiful thing. I do know, and I don't know how much you want to talk about it, so you can shut me down if you don't want to talk about it. But you are working on you connectivity on <laughs> in yeah. some of the products he's working on. And so... That's yep. that's an area that's like you know really interesting to the world right now in general is we have a lot of I know you guys are probably seeing it but I'm hearing it all the time is like these big public charging companies are having a ton of issue with uptime and connectivity and I like one of the best ones is like if you know if you don't own a Tesla a common screen you get to see at a DC fast charging is currently not connected like. I mean, those EA chargers are bricking cars. I know, they're bricking cars. So, like, software is <laughs> yeah. a really hard thing in an industry that's traditionally been, you know, wire yep. and switches, right? Yep. And so having his knowledge of wires and switches is actually really valuable. And then coming from my background, we come from you know, a completely different world. I'm all about IoT, connectivity, right. circuits. Like, how do you connect your car and get all the data from it? Like, how do I get the camera data off a car to the cloud and then analyze it? Like, that's a totally different world. And so there's good conversations to have because it helps me as, a, as an engineer and a, a CEO of a company trying to build these products learn and I think vice versa for yeah, him absolutely. too. And so when absolutely. we collaborate and we talk to each other, we learn how we can build a better platform. And so one of the things I've seen is like this, we're building our own charging platforms, like communication platform in Orange and we're calling it OrangeNet. I don't know if that's ever been released, so I gotta be careful. Oh. It's on our website. It's on our website. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. Like, Loving Electric. That's an exclusive. <laughs> All right. All right. So we, we, we kind of coined it OrangeNet, which is like, in a sense, a, a competitor to an OCPP provider. And so when we're talking with customers, we get asked a lot, like, are you OCP compatible? I'm like, well, does OCPP work in your three-story underground car garage? No. We're <laughs> compatible. Um, so like that's like a hurdle we've had to come across in multifamily, where like a lot of public charging has been in the open and open lots, and some of it's installed in parking garages, and it usually doesn't work. I have tons of experiences as an EV driver, I assume you do too, of showing up to a charger in a parking garage and you can't get it to connect or work. From like, you know, airports in Denver, you know, trying to get it there and trying to drop off my Tesla rental and I can't get charge point to start a session. I'm like, I don't know what I, I'm actually, I, my mom was doing this, she would have broken something by now. <laughs> like, it's, it's not a good user experience. And so this yep. is, and I think MKHB just made a video that went viral. I got sent like from tons yeah. of people like, check it out, like charging and like, is it, I think it's something that's going to become front and center as they become mm -hmm. mainstream is how do we solve this user experience. The uptime. The uptime and the user experience. And right. um, so that's something that's big for us as a company right now is like really nailing that platform for us. So I can talk a little bit if you're interested in how we do that. I don't want to get too nerdy and too technical, but basically we've had to develop our own hardware stack and software stack that has multiple redundancies and how data gets back to the cloud so that even if it's completely offline, we have a way to get data for payments because that's really what the value of OrangeNet is, is right. when you don't you believe with a DCC mm -hmm. to split off of a, an individual house you know, unit panels, you're pulling from a single meter or like its own new meter for charging in a lot of cases. And, and in that case, you need to be able to individually monitor and have smart charging. And so that's our solution in a sense summed up is we have a payment platform that has access control. 
And to do that, we need some level of data back to the cloud to figure out what we charge each month for the payment platform. And so that data pipeline's broken and we don't get the data, we're, we're not accurately charging people. Or they're having a bad user experience because they're not able to charge because they can't unlock one of our outlets. Or we can't submit for carbon credits. Or we can't submit for carbon credits. <laughs> like all the, we need data for more and more with the way the industry is kind of structuring itself. And there's like the policy people who have all these high in the sky ideas and then they're kind of implementing these like open source standards that were never designed for these high in the pie ideas, like high in the sky ideas. And therefore, there's going to be, I think, a really interesting shuffling here in the next five years of what ends up winning and losing. And I'm, I mean, we chatted about this before, but I'm going to, you guys both kind of work in the charging world on both the network side and the connectivity side of it. So I think if we want, we can dive into this a little bit more and talk about like what, as an industry, you know, a lot of people here are interested in this space and work in this space. And maybe your listeners will find this interesting, but there's a lot going on here that's nuanced beyond right. it doesn't work. It's like, why doesn't it work? And like, what was the intended purpose of the solution that's being implemented in the wrong spot? And so I'm happy to answer questions there or dive in, but I would like to kind of give you guys an opportunity to ex talk about your experience as EV drivers and working in the industry about this whole connectivity issue. Yeah. Um, so Alex, we, I, I'm going to let you start first, Alex, but... Uh, Nicholas, I actually have a question for you regarding, um, you know, getting data if it if there's no internet connection or any type of connection at all. Um, and correct me if this is confidential, but I was just curious. So, like, if it's like, say, for example, like on the fourth floor underground parking garage, you know, there's no internet connection, but you guys need to get some type of data from, you know, like an orange charger. How how does that work? Like, how do you get that data from that? So the way we currently do it is we have mesh networks between our outlets. And then one of them will end up being a gateway. So every outlet that we sell can be a gateway. And then we built an algorithm, pretty simple algorithm, which is figure out which outlet has the best signal to cell strength or has a Wi-Fi connected, connected to the Wi-Fi. Then the rest of the outlets will connect to a local Wi-Fi network we built that allows them to communicate on a mesh between themselves. This has got two benefits. I'm going to do a little plug here. But the reason we did this is, one, we've dealt with enough IT guys to know that you're selling to corporate and you have to get into their IT at a large complex, the IT is actually really hard to get around. Like they are, they are their own wall, and a lot of these big, you know, multifamily developers, they don't want smart devices because they're scared of security risk into their system and like yeah. leaked data, and they have a lot of data on their tenants, so they they're very adamant. Like we don't really want you to connect to our Wi-Fi, so we build our own network to do this, and then they mesh to like that fourth floor. Now let's say there's an outlet that's just way too far away. We then have a secondary data path where we bring data into our mobile app, and that then later comes to the cloud. And we do a redundancy, so we actually try to get data from multiple sources, and then we reconcile on the back end with tokens. And that's just a standard protocol for like any cryptography. So we end up you never get charged twice. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, it sounds like you guys have everything covered. That's why I love talking with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Literally two years of my life have gone into like right. <laughs> my first version kind of work and now we're on our like version two yeah and, like, it's a little better and there's still times where it doesn't work perfectly right like, like there is a black magic to rf that i think is we're so comfortable with wi-fi working but i think we've all had the times where we've gone into a weird corner of our house and like our phone doesn't connect like it's too slow like wireless signals are such a black magic to be really honest and like i have some really good friends that are just rf engineers they're your, they're your stereotypical like nerdiest people you've ever met because the math is so hard that it takes a special person to be interested in that subset of engineering because there's electrical engineering which is like electrons flow circuits but then there's rf electrical engineering which is even more nuanced and the math yeah. for it is more difficult mm -hmm. and so i'm really fortunate working here in the bay area to have access to some of the like i literally will call them the brightest minds on rf because they've been here doing rf for apple for you know smart meters for like some of the biggest hardware companies to build all of our products that we're kind of comfortable with from like Cisco routers to, you know, the smart meters for PG&E. And so when I have a problem, I actually am really fortunate to be able to like knock on their door and be like, hey, I'm stuck. <laughs> help me. <laughs> right. That's and they're, awesome. they're nice enough and cool enough, they're like, yeah, we'll help you. Yeah. No, that's, that, really that's cool. great. I, it, I mean, it takes a team. That's it. You know, like we're it, this it whole industry. To some of these problems, literally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's all about collaboration, you know, like, I, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that, like, I'm starting to notice as I dive more into, like, network data and stuff like that. So many companies are trying to do their own thing, 
And like, I get it, you know, it's their business. They're trying to make money. Totally understand that. But at the end of the day, like there needs to be some type of collaboration to make this better for the driver and for that end solution. Because if you're just going to continue doing it your own way, it's just going to get worse. And that's, that's why I respect everything that you guys are doing and like the people you guys work with, because that's, you're making it better for people. <laughs> so, right. but I, on that note, I'll actually uh, hand it to Alex, because I feel like you might have better <laughs> insight with working with a charging provider. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear the kind of the charge net background, because I come from the, the OCPP world, as you mentioned, it's like every charger basically everyone you can think of runs on OCPP, which is essentially a communication protocol to get data between the charger and whatever dashboard somebody's using to manage it. So it's interesting to hear that you guys like, you looked at that and you're like, this is not going to get the job done for us. <laughs> and here's what needs to be fixed with it. So when I started in 2019, looking at starting this company before I started, I, I did a lot of research. And one of the things I did is I pulled down an OCPP from their open source library the mm -hmm. engineer at GitHub and just pulled it down and started playing with it. And there was many issues I found immediately in it that were just like glaringly like, you could tell this wasn't really, it was an open source project that was, you know, being built kind of half-heartedly at the time. Like it's definitely grown a lot more since then. You have now entire OCPP companies like Switch and Amp Up, and, and like now there's entire software platforms like Charge Lab in Canada. Contributing and, and they're contributing to it, but the problem again comes to this like issue of it never was designed to solve the problem that we're talking about, which is like no connectivity networks. They, they're really erased around Wi-Fi devices that have mm -hmm. a strong Wi-Fi signal that are in you know good signal environments. And then the last part is the protocol is really what you said about getting data to a dashboard in real time, which is in yeah. our opinion, not necessary because we're not charging you in real time. We're charging you monthly. So yeah. there's this disconnect. So real time isn't that important actually. And what I laugh is like most people we do customer surveys with aren't sitting there looking at a dashboard. They don't care right. if it's that day's data or like that minute's data. They just want to have a rough idea of what's going on. Like yeah, exactly. you know, monthly snapshot, they're happy. So that that's, I think, the disconnect is it was designed around a real-time reporting, which isn't needed, in my mm -hmm. opinion, and then people might argue with me on that. <laughs> and the last part is um, the need to go to the cloud. So if you're, you do have a charger that has Wi-Fi connectivity, but your cell phone doesn't, now you're pinging this charger to start a charge session, but your phone can't ping the cloud to tell the charger that might actually still be connected to a Wi-Fi network in the property, and you can't do anything with it. So actually, my favorite example of this is uh, PowerFlex in Palo Alto. They replaced all the charge point chargers in downtown Palo Alto, where I go all the time for lunch. And I will sometimes try, try to charge there. I've hacked it so I can, because I take a picture of the QR code on someone else's phone, so that when I leave the underground parking garage, I can scan the QR code when I have cell signal to start a charge session. And, wow. and that, because I don't have cell signal here, right? Like, no, that's that's me being clever. I guarantee you, most people just give up. They're like, I don't know how right. to stop. Yeah. yeah. Unless you have, unless you're a city employee who's got Wi-Fi for this city hall, you can't start a charge session on these chargers that are installed because they need to ping over an OCP. It's like community. two layers of access control. Yeah, it's like two <laughs> layers of access control. So like, it's kind of counterintuitive. And the amount of chargers that have this problem as an EV driver that I've experienced is just mind boggling to me. And I'm right. assuming you've had similar experiences where you've gone to a charger and your cell phone can't connect and send that ping to the cloud to tell the charger to turn on. So the other thing we did to solve this is we do device to device communication. So we use local communication from the phone to our outlets. So you could have no cell signal, but as long as you've had the down app downloaded at one point in the last week, you'll be able to start a charge session. Wow. And so that, that right there solves that problem. But it took us a long time to really think about how we're gonna do that in our access control platform. Because we want to do, a, right. we have customers that want to do complex access control. And so we need that connectivity beyond completely being offline. That's where the mesh network's helpful for us. Yeah. Gotcha. So what's the communication between the phone and the charger then if you don't have you know, cellular or Wi-Fi or whatever? So the current solution is Bluetooth. And then in our version two of our outlets, we're moving towards an NFC solution. Wow, okay. So that would then you know, transfer the data from the, I'm assuming that outlet is still tracking the like power usage and stuff, right? So that would then send to the phone, which can then connect back to the network if necessary. Yeah, something else is that right? here. Exactly. Um, okay. We in most of these protocols, these network protocols, and I'm giving away a lot, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no 
played the record player. They they think about um, they think about charging from a perspective of the cloud controlling the chargers, and we yeah. think about it the other way around. Our chargers are always the ground truth. They just are giving data to the cloud, and right. so there's never right. like we're not expecting the cloud to control the chargers. We're expecting you locally to control the chargers, and the chargers are just relaying That's info to dashboards, and so they. That paradigm change in our network has allowed us to build a more resilient network in these network-constrained environments. That's a great principle. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, and that's, that, that's why I don't like OCPP is because it's <laughs> around the other idea. It's like the cloud is controlling the charger. And I, I get why that's the way it is. It's totally like what I would have done seven years ago with a Wi-Fi charger at my house. I'm not <laughs> about all these problems now after trying to yeah. install chargers in multifamily. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, Three years later, I'm like, yeah, this, this is a. I'm now really like set that this is the wrong approach for networking, and I think we're going to see that as more and more public chargers come online. So, like one of my favorite examples is a. Um, you guys, have, if you ever want to interview, I happily give you. Uh, Kitty Adams runs a, a nonprofit called Adopt a Charger. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And she's awesome, and she's a, a friend of one of our investors, and she does all this work to get chargers installed in national parks. Um, and national parks often have no sales signal. <laughs> right. In the middle of nowhere. So like we've talked a lot about like what it would take to get those to be networkable in any way. So mostly what she installs is dumb chargers. She's just like the national park yeah. just cost. And like yeah. it's amenity and it makes people happy and it's paid for through her nonprofit. Um, which is cool. But like that's a huge issue for her is like how do I even if I ever wanted to make these no. Hey, there's no viable, way viable commercially for like scaling beyond just like the kindness of her heart and environmentalism. It's right. it's well, like there's no real way to do that yet. And there are companies that are say they have ways to do it. And I think um, I'll just say who it is. It's Zeal. That's like their biggest pitch, right? They're like saying we can work completely offline. And there's pros and cons. So like for our customers, that doesn't always work because you we move the ability to do real time like notifications to a driver without a mesh network. You lose the ability to do firmware updates from the cloud. So there's certain things you lose in that MMA. And so I think what we've done is a nice balancing act of this. Well, it's also crazy expensive. Lots of different things. We're just talking network protocols. We're just talking network protocols. Right. I was going to say, I'm curious to get your perspective too, because the reason I think a lot of people think of like the cloud controls the charger is real-time payments and like authenticating payment methods, especially for a public charger when you've got to verify a credit card as a real credit card at the time you're starting the charge, right? So I'm curious yeah. your perspective on that too. So we don't do any real-time payments. That's the biggest difference. And we okay. can get away with that because I actually don't believe in public charging in most cases in the way it's right. being it's I'm hoping that as public chargers get more sophisticated, they copy Tesla and learn to be plugged to charge because that's yep. the proper way to do it. And yep. then you can put tokens within the automotive industry. The problem is this collaboration here has been a hurdle. Getting <laughs> right. Volvo, Volkswagen, Ford, and GM to play nice together has been a nightmare. <laughs> but hopefully someday they come together and realize that if they're going to be as good as experience as Tesla for public charging, they need to figure this out. And there are standards that are being built right now. Um, the ISO 15118. Standard has yep. the charge in there, and then I'm really a big proponent of that standard for public charging. Right. And that's the right solution, not this OCPP thing. The car should be the final truth of everything, and it should be mm -hmm. relied on a smartphone like I'm doing, but only for the car. And right. for where we are, where we're installing, we're doing multifamily, so we're private. So we don't need to charge per transaction. Right. We only charge right. one. So we tally how much energy you use on our network, and we charge you once a month, and we reimburse once a month to the properties. And so you could jump around properties, we'll know. We look at what outlets and what chargers you used, and we go, okay, we owe property X this much, property Y this much, we charge driver, these drivers this much, and it tallies out. So like, that's all done in our back end, but we only need to do that once a month. And gotcha. we make sure hard on file. That's about it to give you a token. Right. So as long as that's... we know you have a valid card, we're like, okay, we're good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's it's so interesting because we're in such like a transitionary period. I feel like just in the whole EV charging landscape. You mentioned the the plug and charges. We I feel like we've been talking about that the past five years. Is like oh yeah, that'll eventually like be the thing. And we're still like you said, we're not there yet, and still trying to build it. So that's I very mean, interesting. I a lot. I signed a lot of NDAs with OEMs, so I got to be really careful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but what I will say is they're struggling. Because like this is a whole new world for a lot of them, and some of yeah. them have ignored EVs for way too long. But yep. what's even worse is they've ignored charging because they yeah. haven't even thought. <laughs> of charging. Yep. 
it comes back to management being disconnected from our industry. So if you're an executive at a Ford and you're, you're setting up an EV charging program, you're thinking about the car. And you've yep. always been able to offsource the fueling of the car to gas station. You've never thought about having to fuel that freaking car. That's your problem. And now it's on you, but it's been missed by so much of management because they've never, like in their careers, this is so new. And it's like, okay, right. I can, it's a fault. They're starting to figure it out. But that's how I described the conversations I had five, six, seven, eight years ago with most of these OEMs and a lot of these directors at you know, all of these OEMs. They really hadn't grasped that yet. Like, I got asked a question once from someone, and I won't say who, what company. But I literally was like, no, that's the wrong way to do it. I'm not doing that. And he's like, what? And I was like, no, this is how you should do it. Just literally do it this way. He goes, I never thought of that. I was like, you own the car. Why are you asking me to take all this stuff you can do on the car better than I can do over here and do it over here? Just do it on the car. You don't need me. And he goes, oh. <laughs> I was like... I was like, you know, it's kind of like this disconnect of the industry. And yeah, right. they'll just see how it shakes out. And that's going to be hard for a lot of the traditional OEMs to adopt. Yeah. yeah. We, we talk about it all the time with Chargeway because, you know, we, we work with utilities and dealership partners all across the country. And the thing that I really think a lot of OEMs missed is the fueling experience, you know, like what you just mentioned. But a lot of the times when they sell like a gasoline powered vehicle, the majority of you know, drivers know how to fuel their vehicle. So I think a lot of manufacturers just assume that this is how they're going to live. And it's a totally different fueling experience. And that's really where we try to step in with like Chargeway and, you know, help them see that it needs to be simplified and it needs to be described because there's a lot of education that's missed. And I hear it all the time from people buying EVs at dealerships. They just don't, they just don't know. They don't get taught that. So yeah, and I think like, speaking of education, that's like one of the big things that you work on with Merbly. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a side hustle we have at RVE is uh, Merbly.com, which is an educative platform for multi-unit um, charging. Um, and, and basically we, we try to emphasize on what's the actual need of the driver. You need a fully charged battery in the morning and they need transparency and equity in terms of who's paying the electricity. <laughs> and uh, if a company can, can figure that out, and I, I think you're really on the right path there, then thank you. That, that's it. <laughs> they don't need more. They, they don't. They don't need a lot of bells and whistles. Yeah. I'm actually right. going to give a jab at Tesla here because this has been pissing me off for like a oh. few weeks now. I'm a little bitter <laughs> with them too. So yeah, <laughs> make sure you at Elon. At Elon. <laughs> <laughs> whatever director is running charging right now. Um, the education from Tesla, which is the company that's leading this, is still really bad on charging. They, they excel chargers, but I have had so many people. So you know the mobile adapter that ships with the car. It has adapters yeah. you can buy. Yeah. It's not really clear you can pull them out. Yeah. Right? It's something we have to educate on, and it blows my mind how many people don't know they can pull out and swap that thing. There's no documentation. There's nothing in the manual that's clear. It's like not user-intuitive. And I, I, I like, I'm blown away by how many people don't know they can swap the adapters out from the 120 to the 240. The ships with the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so these people are like, literally, I, we were in a, a parking lot with one of our COO recently, and there was like a nail, a nail salon, and all these women in the nail salon had bought Model Threes. I don't know why. They all had like <laughs> all the cars, like they went in on a group deal. I'm guessing something. But they were, they were. <laughs> And we asked them like how they charged their car, and they were like showing us. They had no idea that they could swap that level one outlet on their mobile adapter, and they'd only owned the car for like two weeks, so fair enough. But like, that I think is a huge missed opportunity that still is so difficult in this industry, and it's really right. great he's doing with education because that I think is something that you guys are doing too. Is this industry is so new? The average person who's not tuned in or hasn't spent seven or three or ten years of their career in this space. And there's more and more of us, yeah. but I think we need to get, we need to figure out how to reach the people who are, are outside of that little bubble that we think is our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, right. we live. <laughs> uh, but those people have no idea how this industry works. And it's kind of coming back to uh, the way I, somebody described it to me. It's like, there was a time where gas stations didn't exist, right? Yeah. yeah. We're kind of in that world. We're, we're reinventing the gas station and yep. it's a really different paradigm. And the problem that we have that they didn't have is cars didn't exist either before. So they got to invent the gas station and the car together. So we were both new experiences. And now we've got 100 years of people teaching their kids how to fill up at the gas station, rite of passage, right? And that rite of passage is changing from putting a, you know, a nozzle on the side of the car into plugging in somewhere. So 
Yeah. Right. I think that's something that works really well is, is sharing success stories. Uh, case studies work a long way because there are good stories in multi-unit buildings, right? Um, it's just not widely available out there. And the traditional OEMs, they don't think about charging, to, to your point. They mm -hmm. won't even talk about it. They're just trying to sign a contract for their cars and then fig figure it out yourself. Mm -hmm. So, so getting success story out there in the news is is really key. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Because like, uh, like I've been doing that yeah, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's your life, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, anytime I'm on Twitter, like I'll go and I'll look through like EVs and apartments, and I'll search through it, and it's constant where it's somebody just saying like it's impossible to right. own an EV while living in an apartment. I'm like, that's not necessarily true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's there's plenty of examples of where this has worked and how you can do it, and and now it's even getting cheaper and cheaper. So I think we're at like yeah. a new point in time where people are going to see more and more of these success yeah. stories come out. I think the thing that when I started, when we first met, was like it was just still too expensive for right. most people to go out and afford to pay whatever ever charges five grand a station. That's too much. Uh, most people aren't going to pay that. So now yeah. that we're like what Orange is, so four hundred dollars station. Like it's a big difference. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. We we see yeah. like the, the upsell in, the, in terms of real estate value speaks a lot. Yeah. That's a way to convince like, you know, most people don't want EVs tomorrow, but they might want to sell their condos in a year mm -hmm. or two. And having the possibility to charge is an upsell value. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the yeah. other thing we're kind of riding a wave on is policy. So we see a lot of people fighting for like equitable access. The energy has become a huge part of the conversation in California. Uh, building codes are now requiring EV charging for new constructions on multifamily. Yep. And this is adding kind of fuel to our business, but it also adds a lot of convoluted answers, basically. Like there isn't a clear path forward. It's so new. There's a lot of people bickering about which is the right way to do it, which is the not right way to do it. So what he's saying is super important. If we can keep producing case studies, to yeah. show what works and what doesn't work. And we were just chatting earlier, so we've, we've been selling to customers who might have bought a previous competitor or a solution that's older, and they've had problems with it. And they're like, now they're not, now we're not selling a new charging, they're not new to charging, they've had a charging platform. It's a very different conversation than the first buyer of a charger who's never owned charging before on their property. Right. And they're way more apprehensive because the solutions they have been sold previously and spent money on are failing them. Whether it's like they're breaking down maintenance-wise, or the connectivity is terrible, like there's all these things that aren't working well, and I feel like that's where like half the EV charging industry is. Like Tesla's victory right now, and where their moat is, is their charging network, right? And um, when you go look at an EV, as much as I'd want to own a Rivian or another EV, I don't want to deal with you know Electrify America just to be flat out. Like, I don't want to have right. to drive under a blue screen of death, going, I can't charge tonight. That's the, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about plugging my car in and it bricks my car. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but these problems are really bad user experiences, and it, it, it comes to a point like we're really fresh in this industry. Like we. We've been in it for so long that you think it's solved. And, and coming from Tesla, I'm like, why is this not solved? We solved this. I've been in, I've been in meetings. <laughs> we solved this. Why is it this guy is doing it so terribly? Like, what's happening? And it comes to incentives. Like, we're, I, I always have a, I have a rule of thumb in life. It's like people aren't bad. They just fail to the system that they're operating in, right? And so mm -hmm. if the system's poorly incentivized, they, they're going to meet those incentives poorly. Mm -hmm. And so... What was nice about working at Tesla, and I know one of you was a Tesla employee for a while too, is there was, there was, there was a company culture of like excellence and um, from, from the top, and there was a company culture of fundamental thought, which was like the best idea wins. No politics, no title, just the best idea wins, and we will argue it out. I remember interviewing there, and, and my, the director of my team on my interview literally made me feel really, really dumb. And I and watched him later do that to other interviewees, and I asked him, why do you do that? It's so demoralizing. Like, I want to hear how you handle being told you're wrong, because you're going to be told you're wrong a lot at this company, and you're going to have to defend yourself. And some engineers take it, or some people personal. take it personally, and they go home and cry and go, I'm a terrible person. Others go, okay, I lost this one. They were, he was right. I learned something. And you want to yeah. find more of the people that go, I was wrong. He was right. I'm not personally offended. 
I'm stoked I learned something. I learned and, something. And then that's right. that's how the companies succeed with a lot of the charging incentives. I'm gonna shut up here in a second, but um, <laughs> yeah. with a lot of charging incentives, the systems flaws. So the incentives are to install hardware, not to operate the network. They're not to have a charging experience for the car owners because the car charging companies don't care about your user experience with the cars because they're not selling the cars. And they don't really care about the recurring fees because they know they're never going to make their money back on a $125,000 charging station off $0.10 cents a kilowatt hour. So this whole system's kind of broken from the day one on how it was incentivized. And I got a little bit in trouble for calling BMW out on a call for this, but they did a really expensive ad in the Super Bowl last year. Let's see if they do it this year, Sunday, right? But they had this ad that was like, ask them how much they spent. They were like, it was like a few, you know, millions of dollars, like, you know, half, maybe like, I think it was like 48 to 50 million on these ads with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I was like, you know how much DC fast charging you could have installed? And <laughs> the beauty by marketing is like you can write off DC fast charging on your books. So yeah. the business model changes. So what Tesla goes, every Tesla charger we install is marketing for us. We get to write that off on our taxes. It's an asset. It's an asset. And so they go, yay, instead of spending money on ads. And that's the other thing we see in the automotive industry. They're so used to spending money on ads, they're not thinking about charging as an ad channel yeah. for them. And ironically, the most successful and profitable, I don't know what's successful, the profitable charging company was Volta. So if you look at like all the profit that companies made, they weren't a charging company. They were a billboard company with a charger. Yeah. Right? Like they were an ad right. company. Putting yep. charges, they were making more money than charge point per charger because ad revenue generated more revenue than kilowatt hours. And so, like yep. that is a the system is just not really well thought out yet. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We. 100%. Alex and I always joke. One of our one of our listeners actually mentioned um, we were talking about Nevi funding and how like back in like 2015, 2016 when I worked at Tesla, I was like, yay, everything is amazing. And now that like I'm actually in the industry and I have my you know rose colored lens or glasses off. I'm like that Ben Affleck meme where I'm just like, just make it work. <laughs> like, like, yeah, one of our one of our listeners said that. I'm like, that's so relatable because it's true. It's just, just please make it work. Right. Yeah. right. So we joke that yeah. I'm Ben Affleck now. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point about the marketing because I'm sure on Sunday we're going to see a ton of EV ads, like an absurd amount, like more than uh, it continues to increase every year. But it's like the, the Hummer ad last year was my favorite. The which one? <laughs> the Hummer ad was my favorite. Oh yeah, was that yeah. was that the Norway one? Like with uh, Will Ferrell? Was, was that GM that did the Norway? One? I don't know. Who did that? Was with Will Ferrell, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, because he's in this year. The next day of him sitting in traffic in his Model S. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good overall for like awareness. This comes back yeah. to our bubble, right? Like, yeah. it's right, right. So it's good for everyone. Like, yeah. I'm not upset. I just wish they were thinking about how they could make the user experience yeah. better because that's yeah. going to scare people when they see stories of, from like MKHB about charging. When they have their friends mm -hmm. who are like, "Oh, I tried to charge my Rivian and it bricked my car." That's yeah. going to scare them to it's buy scary. an EV, and it's going to slow down the progress that like. Tesla has done a really good job at building because they have yep. solved that already, right? They've made this charging seamless experience for people. The rest of the automotive industry honestly should just copy it. Like, I don't really... <laughs> right. Six years ago. You're so yeah. right, though, because there's so many things we have to, like worry about in the ev industry like the the oil lobby like making evs sound bad like all the just the naysayers in general like we like we as an industry definitely have to come together a lot more and like work towards unified solutions more than infighting and saying oh no we're doing it this way <laughs> what i'm what i can happily say is we're past the point of no return mm -hmm. there was right. like 2014 2015 that it was really questionable if you know evs yeah. were going to become mainstream that's and fair like I remember going to take the job, my first job out of college at Tesla, and friends going, "You're an idiot. You can get a job." I was like, "Well, whatever." <laughs> um, now look at me. I'm always out of a job. I'm a founder. <laughs> no one employs me but myself. Uh, like, the reality being, like, there was so much naysay right back then. Yeah. I just remember 2013 when Elon got on stage for the battery swap, the event that never ever happened. It was just like a complete right. <laughs> like Harris Ranch event. Let's battery swap Teslas, and it was like. That whole event to me was just me feeling like he was yelling at the world, going like, we solved all the problems you guys talk about. Please just listen to us. We solved them. And they're like, no, you still... And, like, <laughs> and here we are, we're 10 years later, going like, we're still not totally solved. 
outside of Tesla. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> the is now committing fully to the EV. They're having all those growing pains that you know we in the industry working with like early Teslas, early you know EVs saw ten years ago. I mean, I will say they didn't solve one thing, and it's the thing that we all do, yeah. which is multifamily. Well, well, that's also <laughs> that's a topic we discussed earlier. Yeah. That how many businesses I've, I've tried yep. and I've run away or, or leave the multi. You know? Yeah, yeah, we were joking. We like the punishment of yeah. this industry. So yeah. we were. A lot of I can really tried to do multifamily charging and then just bailed and. What's ironic is it's a huge market. There's no concept that this market's going to be has to be solved yeah. just across the chasm in EVs. But the, it can't. The, the business right. model definitely a challenge. The business model is a challenge. In the short term, and and that's I think where people like we're going to see we're going to just create really clever business models, not so much technology, to make this industry succeed for multifamily. And that's where I think we really talk a lot about is like yeah. how are we going to keep growing here and like succeeding with the customers we have and the customer journey and the customer journey. cycle is yeah the hardest part not the technological stuff no technology is easy here as much as i love tech the actual hard part sales the and expectations <laughs> well, expectations are very low on a full battery and and equity and and, 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 and i have complete transparency in what i'm paying for energy. that's it yeah. and and that's so hard to solve from the politics internally yeah. So we, we're seeing that in a lot of the way we, you know, build our company. Although I will say this is way easier than selling to government sales. So yeah. from my last <laughs> book, I feel like this is a walk in the park for punishment. Yeah. And that's what we're consumer facing. I'm going to sell some supplements online or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just all those, what is it, paid per click ads? Like, it's a different world. But like... Our B2B sales cycle and multifamily and meeting you know customer needs because it's a B2B to C is is a challenge. I feel like from a founder perspective, what is nice is that we're solving a, an actual problem. Mm -hmm. Like people people suffer from from this, mm -hmm. and we can really help them. And that, that I mean, you back. guys are facing these problems not that long ago, right? Like I remember, you, right? You all met. You were both in in apartments with Tesla. I was. Yeah. I was in an apartment. Yeah, I was. I was going to ask too. Um, ha have you seen it get better since the last time we chatted? Because I, I have gone from an apartment where I was charging on a. I did end up getting a garage. I think after we talked and charged on a level one outlet for the longest time and did you know ninety five percent plus of what I needed. So I was actually inspired by you guys to give that a shot and, <laughs> and impressed at how well it worked. So have you seen that get a lot better, like in the in the past year or so? I mean, I th I think so. I, I I think I've seen it like slowly start to change. Like the more of the meetings that we're in with some of like the larger like real estate investment investors, they are slowly understanding more of like we don't need to install a ten thousand dollar charge point station. We can actually right. go this route and satisfy the needs of the community. Um, and oh, by the way, we'll, we'll probably make some money on that as well. Yeah. I think the very first thing I talked about with you guys was like the balancing act that happens in these like apartment communities where it's like the EV driver wants access to power and that's kind of it. The community wants to make sure that that access is equal for everybody. And then right. the building owner wants to make sure that when they put in this, it's like not going to break the bank. And if they did have to spend some money on it, they want a way to get that money back. And like right. we were just talking about like how that seems so simple but yet becomes like so overly complicated very very quickly and i yep. think over the last year i've seen it change not a lot it's only been a year but it's like it's been marginal enough to make me feel like the industry is going in the correct direction right it's i've seen i've seen the exact same thing on our calls <laughs> we're, we're fortunate to be heavy so one thing i was saying we in san mateo county where we started the company there's like a 23 percent of cars on the road are evs which is like i think the second highest in the country the second next that's is wild EVs. yeah and so like i literally will wake up in the morning and go drive to meet someone and i'll like turn the corner it'll be like seven teslas a rivian a freaking like mm -hmm. bolt and there's no other car on the road it's like okay we're all ev today oh and it's great i'm smiling inside but the uh that's like very much not the reality for most of the world still like we're that's just kind of to be frank most of these companies have offices here so you've got hundreds of tesla engineers you, you have thousands of people that work in the industry here so they're going to be more likely to buy an EV if they've worked at Ford's R&D department on the or, or, you know, EV, if they worked at Tesla, if they worked at Rivian, if they work at any of the self-driving car companies. 
they're going to be more likely to buy here because they're honestly that's just how the valley's been for most of its history. Right. Um, and so we get to see kind of the what I call like a future preview of the rest of the world. We get to see like this many EVs on the road. What does it look like in a multifamily when 30% of the people on the property own an EV? And so because of that data, we're able to kind of talk to the rest of the world with more concrete evidence, which is, I think, to Jason's point, it's no longer a, I believe based off my model, this is what it's going to be. It's like, here's what's happening. Here's what we're doing to meet that demand. You're going to have this demand at some point in the future. How do you want to solve it? Do you want to do what these guys are doing? Do what these guys are doing? And I think that like, is creating a concrete like evidence that they these type of customers, especially B2B sales, need to feel comfortable making that decision. They don't make decisions quickly because they don't want to screw up because they're they're long term investments. And so if somebody's right. doing it in, like you were saying, case studies are super valuable because it creates confidence in the solution, it creates confidence in the opportunity, and it gets backed by hard data that's happening, not just you know ex- ex- what we call like Excel sheet math, right? Right. Right. And so like. Going from Excel sheet math to real data from actual property is a huge jump. I think that's where the rhetoric's been really changing for us as a company. As we've started to expand, we have more and more real data to show, and that makes the conversations a lot easier. Definitely. That's awesome. I love the fact that you charged on level one for a while at your apartment complex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had to, I'll have to send you the video because I had a single outlet in my apart, uh, in my garage. And that outlet was for the garage door opener. So I had to run like an extension cord splitter from my ceiling, like down to where I could plug in my car just to get it to work. So I've seen a lot of that, like especially (laughs) in more apartment complexes and the owners hate it. So like when I was talking to a company in Southern California that owns a ton of property, we went to a property and we're walking around and we saw a few people drive up in their Teslas and go in their garage. And we went to go, I chased them one or two down. I was like, so how do you charge? And they're like, oh, no, 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 don't show. Like, <laughs> yeah, shut the door. <laughs> like, no, I'm like breaking rules. Like they're like, I'm literally pulling from the garage like you did to get into yep. their car. And the property owner is like, oh, that's not what I want to happen. And yeah. I'm paying for the electricity because we pay for exactly. the Exactly. And so they're yeah. like, they don't love it. So that's where I think this is a really weird market because there's also these like, Lack of transparency yeah. between the tenant and the But owner. again, these people, they bought the car, yeah. came home, and then, oh, I need to charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like a weird yeah. world. I used to do, you do deliveries because you're in sales at Tesla, but when I did some of the deliveries for like the end of quarter where they get all the engineers to go like push cars, oh, I yeah. was always asked, like, we always were told to ask, how are you going to charge a car? Like, that was the question in like the playbook, right? Yeah. And it was like, the amount of people, like, I'm just going to DC fast charger. I live across from a DC fast charger. I was like, oh. Good luck with that. <laughs> like, yeah, like I really, I really like. No, that's not a good idea. But okay. Ouch! Our prices. Well, that, well, that was when all free charging. So I was like, you know what? Call it. But now that's going away, and the prices of charging have gone up fifty percent from where like they were. Triple the cost of like what normal electricity is. It varies. It's not triple. It's triple at some of the EA and stuff. But for Tesla, it's actually pretty competitive. Because Tesla's doing tiered pricing at their mm-hmm. superchargers. Right. So if you charge off peak hours, it's pretty much the rate you would pay. Okay. But during peak hours, they gouge because they want to... The yeah, problem right, with yeah. DC fast charging, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, the logic here is so flawed. If people's like, oh, we're going to install DC fast chargers. People are going to get off work during peak hours, and they're going to go race their DC fast charger. They're going to plug in, pull tons of power for 20 to 5 to 30 minutes. They're going to be backed up lines, and we're, we're doing exactly what we don't want to do to the grid, mm-hmm. where we talk all about is like, we don't want the energy at the peak to be pulled for charging. We want to yep. take off peak hours. And we won't want to make it an inconvenience chore. We want it to be an effortless thing that just disappears in your life. I think we all love EVs because we wake up with a full battery and we don't think about it. But we've figured, exactly. we figured the ten, game out. Ten seconds every day. Ten seconds every day, yeah. And so that is a reality for still a lot of people. Like I talked to a lot of Uber drivers in the Bay mm-hmm. who don't have charging, who rely mostly on DC fast charging. Yeah, um, and that blows my mind. Like I literally was in an Uber yeah. the other day, and I was like, "How do you charge?" He's like, "Oh, DC fast charge." Yeah, that's crazy. I'm like, "Oh," and they there's a whole another world to that that I learned about that makes me sad inside because they're renting the car from like Hertz or something. But like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, but like, yeah, that one's nuts. But and we'll see how it plays out, right? Like that's where we're. At. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. That's why we're all here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in the first we're in the first wave to see how this is going to play yeah. out in California. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, just to circle back on what David said with like the case studies and awareness, like that, that's exactly why Alex and I started this podcast is that, you know, not just from like our perspective to provide that to our listeners, but to also provide companies like yours as a, you know, as a platform. So you can bring up your solutions and talk about this because it's, it's needed. There's such a lack of transparency within this industry. That's actually, it's sad. Like just, you know, just to be blunt. (laughs) So it's, it's good to have these conversations. Why? There's a lot of big investments, right? And so yeah. people are really yeah. scared. And like that actually, I don't know, there's a lot of good books on open source software. Um, and so like Google and a lot of companies have done a lot of amazing things to prove that being transparent actually is more valuable than trying to be secretive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually kind of go, for, there's trade-offs. So we're definitely secretive on some of the stuff we do, on IP and like the, we have to be, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's other things that I think you could. You, there's there's no value in holding close to our chests and not helping the industry grow. Because like the the quote that I really follow, and we agree with this: "Rising tides raise all ships." Mm-hmm. Like we're in an industry where we're we're in this industry. At least I am, and I know David for sure. And maybe sitting here is because we want to see action in two things: one, air quality, noise pollution. Those are the local things yeah. I care about with EVs that they solve. And then there's the you know broader climate impact that we as a society have to address to some level, and that's an argument that I don't try to go down, so we'll just stay off of it. But in terms of me, <laughs> I I personally love the idea that gas cars are going to go away, and the local air quality when I ride my bike or go for a run is going to improve. And we saw it over COVID, which is like, yep. we, oh we my were, gosh, theoretical. There's your case study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what it looks like when you remove millions of gas cars in LA, right? Smog gone, air quality yeah. improved, and and this stuff that's in air quality is so bad. So that's why I'm really passionate about this industry. Is we have an opportunity to undo a lot of the health impacts to our, our society just locally from EVs. Yeah, and absolutely. So yeah, I and, think and help people. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's one of the exact reasons why I love being part of this industry, too. And I have to remind myself when I get stressed out and distracted by all the, the noise <laughs> is that we're in this to help people. Like, I, I think so many companies like lose their way when they really focus on the money versus what really matters. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be money to be made here, right? Like, that's, let's be real. Right. <laughs> But yep. the, the money that's going to be made here is going to come out in the wash. Like there's just, it's a huge transition in our lifetime of mm-hmm. the traditional oil industry where all that energy comes from to move things, whether that's trucking, like, mm-hmm. you know, passenger cars. That's a whole vertical, massive industry that's getting coupled with the grid. And that transitions opportunities just everywhere. It's no different than like oh, yeah. the internet, right? In a sense being created, the internet created new ways to sell and do things. We're now... EVs, in a sense, in this new energy transition. We have a technology that is allowing us to cross things that have been before we're separate, and we're going to have opportunity there. It's just inevitable. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's lots of it. There's not going to just be one winner. There's going to be lots of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. We just got to keep working hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> the complexity comes down to the collaboration of different stakeholders that don't have the same aligned interest, that don't necessarily care about. Um, uh, emissions and air pollution and just money. So, well, that's that's why we built our company the way we did. Yeah. I, we <laughs> I said this in the last podcast, but I'll say it again because I think it's really important for everybody in the environmental sector to hear. And I steal it straight off of uh, Fifty Years website, a venture fund. Mr. Burns' principle is the key to environmental impact having impact. Mm-hmm. So you can have the best environmental idea ever. But if it doesn't work economically, you're only going to get the environmentalists who are willing to suffer. Like Martin and Mark, the founders of, you know, co-founders of Tesla, that when they started Tesla, they used to joke, like they have a presentation from back in the day, and it's like these people on little EVs, because EVs existed before Tesla, and they were suffer cars is what they called them. They were like uncomfortable <laughs> golf cart examples. They weren't cool. They weren't sexy. They weren't fast. No car person would want to own one. And they were like, we need to change that paradigm if EVs are going to go past it. We have to make them cool to a car guy. Uh, not yeah. just a guy who's you know wants to ride his bike, but he's suffering in his car today because he couldn't ride his bike, and he's like you know you got to lead certified house. Like there, there's that small subset of people, but for us to really have that chasm crossing experiences we're talking about, mm-hmm. you have to economically work and get you know the people who don't really care about the environment, the thing they care about is money. Most people really do care about that. If you can't do that, we don't succeed. Yeah, as an industry. Right. Yeah, definitely. We're just past an hour of recording. Is there any uh, anything else you guys want to wrap up with or maybe shout out the website and where we can find you guys? 
David, you take it. I'm going to take your website. UTCelectric.com <laughs> for uh, energy management system and uh, Mervly.com, uh, M-U-R-B-L-Y.com for our educative platform. So if you live in an apartment and want some tools to help uh, convince your property owner to get on with charging, go visit this website. A lot of case studies as well available. Awesome. And then I guess we'll plug Orange again. So yeah, just go to orangecharger.com if you're looking for a cost-effective way to scale charging in your multifamily property. Um, everything from HOAs to apartment complexes all the way down to duplexes. So. Their listeners should know us by now. Maybe. We've only been on <laughs> once. They did the initial, and yeah. that's what got yeah, me. Yeah, we did a... Someone found us. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is episode three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad your listeners are stoked yeah. on us, and we'll keep yeah. you know keep the conversation going, and keep collaboration in the industry hopefully alive and well, so we can solve these problems yeah. together. Yeah. I think you guys are always yeah, welcome right? on. Yeah. Honestly, Cut. we love having yeah. you guys on. So definitely, awesome, cool. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Yeah, thanks to the Orange team and uh, and David for joining us, and we'll see everybody on the next episode.